The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. This is Rainmaker FM, the digital marketing podcast network. It's built on the Rainmaker platform, which empowers you to build your own digital marketing and sales platform. Start your free 14-day trial at rainmakerplatform.com. These are the Writer Files, a tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of working writers. From online content creators to fictionists, journalists, entrepreneurs, and beyond. I'm your host, Kelton Reed, writer, podcaster, and mediaphile. And each week, we'll find out how great writers keep the ink flowing, the cursor moving, and avoid writer's block. Author Andy Weir, the New York Times bestselling author of The Martian, dropped by to chat with me about his writing process and the upcoming movie adaptation of his hit book, directed by Ridley Scott and starring Matt Damon. The author's journey to number one on the New York Times bestsellers list began as a humble series of blog posts and grew enough interest to demand self-publishing to Amazon. When The Martian's popularity skyrocketed, traditional publisher Random House called, and the rest is history. From software engineer to sci-fi phenom, Andy's a down-to-earth writer and a self-described space nerd who still answers all of his fan mail. Join us for this two-part interview. In part two of The File, Andy Weir and I discuss how recurring daydreams can turn into great stories, the mystery of truly immersive writing, why Peter Pan's Tinkerbell should be in prison, Shakespeare's and Kepler's 16th century bromance, how Mr. Weir's book started a relationship with NASA, three tips and tricks to becoming an actual writer, and why Hollywood adds special effects last. If you enjoy the Writer Files podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers find us. Thanks for listening. Well, let's uh, seg into creativity here. Andy, can you define creativity in your own words? Wow, that's broad. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's the ability to imagine scenarios that most people haven't already imagined. How's that? I love it. Okay. That's very succinct. <laughs> and when do you personally feel the most creative? I usually do it by mistake. You know, usually it's because I'll daydream or fantasize about something. And then I find myself coming back to that same fantasy. And I know I say fantasy and people immediately assume sex fantasy, but I mean, I mean, fantasy. Sitting around imagining yourself as an astronaut is a fantasy, right? Mm-hmm. 
And if I keep coming back to the same thing over and over again, then I'm like, this might be a good story. Because if I keep fantasizing that I can do this, that I have this superpower or that I can do this other thing or whatever, that I'm in a situation, if, it, if it's interesting enough to keep pulling me back into daydreaming about it, then it'll be interesting enough to entertain a reader if, if I can make the reader empathize or self-insert with the main character, right? Absolutely. Would you say you have a creative muse right now? A muse? I don't know. I've, I've never really got the, the muse thing. It, does that mean like something I do or, or does it just mean do I feel creative lately or... I'm not sure either. I think it means a lot of different things, a lot of different people. And of course, you know, they're the literal muses and, and from antiquity uh, well, yeah. who are supernatural beings. Um, I do not have Roman goddesses. <laughs> okay, uh, well, I'm just curious. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I just, I've, I've always come up with random stuff. I mean, I also come up with a lot of really stupid things. So the trick is, you know, making sure not to try to focus on, on the stupid stuff too much. <laughs> Like, uh, you know, I, I came up, I spent hours one day coming up with a sequence of events or a storyline for a guy who gets lucky all the time, right? He's just really lucky. And he finds out, I mean, he definitely, he realizes that there is such a force in the universe as luck and he has it, but he finds out eventually that it's not him who's lucky, it's his cat. And his cat is lucky <laughs> and the cat loves him. Therefore, he is protected by, you know, the forces of luck that surround the cat so that, like, he can't die because that would make the cat sad. And so luck ensures that the cat won't ever be sad. And so I put a lot of work into that until I kind of, like, thought about it objectively for a minute and went, like, that's a freaking stupid story <laughs> idea. <laughs> well, that's subjective. <laughs> the felicitous feline is not... Uh... <laughs> I hope that you've already registered this idea with the Writers Guild... If somebody else writes that idea and makes a good story out of it, they've earned it. <laughs> Surely there's a, a Hollywood executive listening right now who has just jotted all of that down very quickly, sent it to... Power to him. Power to him. <laughs> we'll see it on the big screen in a year. Works for me. <laughs> what do you think makes a writer great? I guess it just means if you can... The writers who really engage or grab the reader and make, and make the readers really immerse immerse themselves in the story and care about the protagonists are the ones who get called great. Now, the truly great writers are the ones who did it on purpose and know what they're doing. I did it by mistake. I have no idea what I did right. At the time I wrote The Martian, I was just, I thought I was writing it for a core group for my mailing list on my website, a core group of nerds. I had no idea it would have mainstream appeal. And I'm really insecure about my next book because I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't really know what I did right. But the great writers, the truly great writers, are the ones who have an instinctive understanding of how to draw the reader in and make them care about the characters and get involved and immersed in the story. Do you have some favorite authors at the moment? Well, my holy trinity are Heinlein, Asimov, and Clark. Mm. Those are the ones... I grew up reading, even yeah. though it's a generation off of mine. Uh, it's because my dad had an inexhaustible paperback collection of sci-fi books. Yeah. And so I read the books that he read when he was growing up. So those are my favorites of all time. My favorite current authors, I don't get to read much current authors, but I really like Ernest Cline. Mm -hmm. And I like Hugh Howie. I, I like Wool. I like the silo stuff. And uh, I like Peter Klein's a lot. 
Mm. Now, in the past, I get a lot of crap because, like, I mentioned nothing but men. <laughs> and so I don't want people to think that I have a problem with female authors. I don't. I just I just don't read much contemporary stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big sci-fi fan. So the baby boomer era sci-fi stuff was overwhelmingly dominated by men. Yeah. But when it comes to science and women, I recommend Packing for Mars by Mary Roach. It's nonfiction. It's one of the few nonfiction books I've ever read that I loved. That's a great recommendation. I'll put that in the, uh, in the show notes as well. Can you share a best loved quote? Hmm. Well, it's, it's just sort of a joke, but from Terry Pratchett, also one of my favorite authors ever, he had a line in one of his books that said, if you build a man a fire, you keep him warm for a night. If you set a man on fire, you keep him warm for the rest of his life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> that can be interpreted a few different ways. I like it. <laughs> no, I think there's really only the one. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. it, was a, it was a pretty, it was the bad guy in the, in the story that said that. So. <laughs> I've overthought that. <laughs> Just a quick pause to mention that the writer files is brought to you by the rainmaker platform, the complete website solution for content marketers and online entrepreneurs. Find out more and take a free 14 day test drive at rainmaker.fm slash platform. So let me ask you a few fun questions. Do you have a favorite literary character? Oh, you know, that's a tough one. Okay, so I know this is a weird, a really weird answer. And I don't know if she's my favorite literary character, but she is certainly among my favorites, is Tinkerbell. Hmm. (laughs) So Tinkerbell's really interesting because, like, Peter Pan is a story, you know, for kids, right? Right. And it's a story about, you know, like childhood versus adulthood. And the real, the real like plot development in Peter Pan is that Wendy gives up being a child in order to work toward being an adult, right? right. I mean, that's the main thing. But Tinkerbell is a really, really interesting character because I think a lot of people forget what her character's like in the real Peter Pan and the original and stuff. She was bad. Like mm-hmm. Tinkerbell actively tried to murder Wendy on several <laughs> occasions. Yes. Not just in little ways. Like, she actually tried to kill Wendy repeatedly. And, she, I mean, that's like murder. It's like evil, right? Yeah. But then, in the end, she redeems herself by almost dying to save Peter. That's right. right? That's right. And so, she is actually a, a complex and interesting character who is, I mean, you don't see it often in fiction where... She did genuinely evil things for genuinely selfish reasons, <laughs> but then is still a protagonist, a prime mover of the plot, and in the end, a self-sacrificing character. Yeah. And I think that's a very interesting, I, I think it's just a very deep and interesting character. Absolutely. Very Shakespearean and dark. Yes, yeah. I mean, she's like a murderer, like, <laughs> or would have been if she'd had her way. Right forgot about that uh the darker uh elements of peter pan she was she was like i mean you could classify tinkerbell as evil (laughs) there's some little girl crying right now well little girl needs to know how the world works (laughs) that's that's my daughter to to an author's (laughs) (laughs) process related podcast (laughs) okay well we'll move on (laughs) <laughs> going to be an author. She should know these. <laughs> She's already playing with the typewriter. Okay, there you go. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow. Mercy is the bow. 
a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. If you could choose any author from any era for an all expense paid dinner to anywhere, who would you choose and where do you think you'd take them? Hmm. Well, so whenever I get asked uh, rhetorical questions, I always end up wandering off into directions the questioner didn't want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know. We like that. We like that here. Well, then I would answer something like, okay, Shakespeare, and I'd take him to the top of the CN Tower or something like that so that we just spend the whole thing talking about the advances of civilization in the five centuries that he hasn't been around, you know? <laughs> and so, but I, I get the feeling you would rather. <laughs> no. No? Okay. I think that's a great answer. All right. In fact, it sounds I'd rather, like... I'd rather bring a, a scientist, though. I'd rather... <laughs> no, seriously, I would rather have Kepler just over for dinner at my house, and I could tell him all this stuff that we've learned about planetary motion since he's died. Mm. Well, I think you're allowed to have two. Oh, okay. There we go. And you could have them in the same place at the same time, which would be mind-bending. Kepler, this is Shakespeare. Shakespeare's <laughs> Kepler. Shakespeare would be like, who the hell is this? And Kepler's like, oh my God, Shakespeare. <laughs> I love your work. <laughs> yeah. So actually they were contemporaries, I think. <laughs> well, let me get, let me Google that really quick. I, I'm doing it too. Uh, yeah, they were like this almost the same generation. They were born nine, uh, just a few years apart, actually. Very cool. And then Kepler died about 15 years after Shakespeare. So he'd be like, what's up, bro? <laughs> well, <laughs> I think we've touched on two potentially blockbuster Hollywood. 16th century, yo. <laughs> <laughs> So, do you have a writer's fetish at all? Do you collect rare first editions or old typewriters or any any other weird stuff no, like that? No, I, I don't. I don't collect. I don't have anything like that. I have ended up with a bunch of signed copies of things from various other authors that I've met. So I kind of have a collection of that going. 
I've got some nice space memorabilia from lots of things. So I, I, I like that. I like space memorabilia. <laughs> That's awesome. So I know you've spent some time at NASA at the Jet Propulsion Labs over there because they love they really love your work, don't they? Yeah, they're really happy with it. They see it as a first off, they they like the scientific accuracy, so they feel like it's like showing the public what space travel is really like. Also, they hope it'll like reinvigorate public interest in the space program. Yeah. And finally, I'm sure it doesn't hurt that it portrays NASA in an extremely positive light. <laughs> That's pretty amazing, and, and congratulations on that. Thank you. Also, I think JPL really likes it a lot because I call out JPL explicitly. Yeah. <laughs> and show that there's a difference between the two and so on. Well, I think it's fascinating to me that they pr- actually promoted your movie. Well, they kind of do and they kind of don't. There are limits on what they're allowed to do. Mm-hmm. They're not allowed to actually promote private products or whatever. Sure. But they can certainly use the movie to try to increase public awareness of Mars missions and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, that's cool that you even have a relationship with them as oh, a result great. of your work. It's awesome. I got to go to Houston uh, Johnson Space Center, and uh, I got like four days of VIP tours. I got wow. to hang out in the Mission Control Center, like literally in the Mission Control Center, not just in the observation bay. That's great. And like they let me sit at the Kronos station, which is one of the flight control stations, and they let me remotely control a camera mounted on the outside of ISS. Oh my, oh my. Yeah, that was very cool. <laughs> <laughs> like the best week of my life, pretty much. <laughs> so who or what has been your greatest teacher? Hmm. Huh. Well, my greatest teacher in terms of actual teachers (laughs) was my trigonometry and calculus teacher named Mr. Fong, Nelson Fong from uh, Livermore High School. He was my favorite teacher that I ever had. He was really good, really good math teacher. But in general, I think just having a lifelong interest in the space program and, and going out of my way to watch every documentary I can get my grubby little paws on about it. Yeah. Stuff like that. So it was really distributed. It wasn't like there was one specific thing. Google and Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And we have a whole generation coming behind us that uh, would probably say the same. So can you offer advice to fellow writers on how to keep the ink flowing and the cursor moving? Yeah, indeed. I get asked that a lot. And I've, so I've had a chance to put a lot of thought into it. And I've got, I think, pretty good answers. First off, you have to actually write in order to be a writer. It's easy, and I know lots of people who've done this, and it takes a while to break out of this trap. It's easy to sit around and fantasize about a story and think up all the details of the plot and what'll happen here and imagine awesome scenes and stuff like that. But until you actually put it down on a page, it's just a daydream and it's not a story. Yeah. It's when you put it onto paper that you find all the little problems that you hadn't thought of that you suddenly realize, oh, you know, maybe dedicating you know, two, 200 pages to the backstory of this castle they're in maybe isn't as great a narrative idea as I thought, <laughs> you know, and that's when you find the problems and that's when you start to fix it. And so you need to, you need to actually write. That's number one. Number two is, and this one's very hard, resist the urge to tell your story to your friends and family. So like, you've got an awesome story. You tell your buddies about it. And they're interested. They're not just indulging you. They are like, whoa, whoa, that's awesome. Okay, wait, now, so then what happens next? And what about this character? Would would he go do blah? Oh, that's awesome. And you've got to not do that. You've got to not tell them at all. 
The reason is because almost every writer, or certainly in my case, and I think most writers will say the same, they're, they're driven by a desire to have an audience, to have other people like read and enjoy their work. If you verbally tell the story to your friends, that satisfies your need for an audience and saps your desire to actually write it. So you make yourself a rule and you say, no one can possibly find out about this story other than reading it. So that'll really motivate you to write. Yeah. And the third thing I would say, the third and final thing is, there has never been a better time in history to self-publish. The internet has removed the old boy network between you and the reader. You can write, you can self-publish to Amazon, Barnes & Noble. There are lots of options. You have no financial risk on your part. You can just put it up there and see how it goes. Put as much effort as you want into uh, publicity or marketing, and you can be a success without having uh, a big publishing house give you the go-ahead. That's fantastic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So where can uh, fellow scribes connect with you out there? My email is public. It's on my website and stuff. It's, uh, I mean, I can say it. It's cephalon at gmail.com, but no one will know how to spell cephalon. <laughs> but you can find it online. And I answer all fan mail. That's fantastic. That's the first time I've actually had a guest give their email out publicly. Yeah, I spend probably, I don't know, half an hour to an hour a day just answering fan mail. That's awesome. If it gets overwhelming, then it just means that it'll take me a little while. <laughs> but I do answer them all. Well, I'm sure that you've got a busy few weeks ahead. I do indeed. The premiere is a week from tomorrow. Have you seen the film? I have. It's awesome. And I saw it a few weeks ago, but the version I saw, they, they still hadn't put in all the special effects. So there's a lot of, <laughs> it was kind of funny. It's like, you're watching it, you're involved, you're, you're, you're immersed in it. And then all of a sudden there's a scene where you can see the giant wires holding people <laughs> up and, or this really ghetto, like, you know, kind of circa 1994, you know, video game cut scene, you know, rough in, because they do the special effects dead last pretty mm, much yeah the, or the cgi effects they do those pretty much absolutely last because if you have one minute of cgi or like no like one second of cgi scenes is like 50 to a hundred thousand bucks wow so you want to make sure you know the exact scene sequence and how everything is going to be before you start <laughs> <laughs> doing the cgi yeah yeah, yeah. before you hit render so yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I hope that you get to meet some of that amazing cast and crew over there. My, uh, yeah. my pick would be to meet Ridley Scott, if that were a possibility. Did you actually get to meet the uh, director? 
Yeah, I met Ridley, Scott, and Matt Damon a few weeks ago at an event at JPL. And so I got to chat with them briefly, although they then got... We got to chat briefly in private, and then we were brought up on stage and did a group interview thing. Mm. And then we went all different directions. Ridley went home, Matt went to get a tour of JPL, and I went and stood in a room and got interviewed all day <laughs> by reporters who each had four minutes with me. <laughs> wow. Wow. That must have been interesting. And that was cool. And I also met just by chance, I met Kate Mara who plays Johansson in the film. Yeah. Met her at Comic-Con. She was there promoting the new fantastic four movie. And I was in the green room, the Fox green room and there she was. And so I went up and introduced myself. Wow. That's cool. That's and very she was cool. like, Oh, Hey, you wrote the book. Hey, that's great. And it made me feel good about myself. <laughs> So she actually was genuinely interested in meeting me or polite enough to pretend to be interested. <laughs> Either way, it makes me feel good. All right. Final fun question. What is your favorite movie about Mars? Favorite movie about Mars? Well, there aren't really that many, are there? I mean, there are a bunch, but then there, there, there really aren't. You know, I really... This is silly, but I really liked Mars Attacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. That's a pretty funny one. Silly movie. It didn't take itself seriously, you know. It's is really that, silly. Is that I'm Tim sure Burton? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And you know what's funny is like, I'm sure as soon as as soon as we're done with this call, I'm gonna be like, oh god, of course this movie. <laughs> so there's probably something blatant that I'm missing. I remember when I was a uh, when I was uh, when I watched Total Recall. Back in the era of like 90s action movies, that, that was really awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There are quite a few that I, I mean, I Total Recall, Mission to Mars is, is Mission kind of to Mars. I like that because I like Gary Sinise a lot. Yeah. Gary Sinise, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Don Cheadle. Uh, I like, and Don Cheadle, right. Yeah. So I like that one, even though I thought the, the resolution at the end was kind of silly, but I, I like sure. the film. I am one of the seven or so people on earth that actually like John Carter. <laughs> That's funny. And it's considered one of the better ones, I think. Yeah. I mean, it didn't, I think it was, it actually was a commercial success eventually. I mean, it, yeah. it actually, it made more money than it cost them to make it. Yeah. It didn't start a franchise, but you know, no, it did all right. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. I will encourage listeners to um, find the Martian in any format that you can. I know it's in hardback. Is it in paperback yet? Yeah, hardback, trade paperback, normal paperback, and ebook are all available. Oh, and audiobook. The audiobook is excellent, particularly good because uh, the narrator, R.C. Bray, did a fantastic job and he won an award for it. That's outstanding. So find The Martian if you can before it comes out in theaters next month, because it is such a compelling and fantastic read. I can't imagine how they're going to translate it to the screen, but the book is outstanding. And thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about your process here. Oh, sure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for the second half of this tour through the writer's process. Now get back to work. For more episodes of The Writer Files or to leave us a comment or a question, just drop by writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Catch you next week.